Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, it's Thursday. That's my favorite day of the week. I got my main man, Ian, here. How are you doing, Ian? How, what, do you, what do you think about Thursdays? Oh, Thursdays are great, especially when you're in Bali. <laughs> Time for another lifestyle business podcast. That's the hashtag, yeah, buddy, where we believe building a business is the ideal way to create more freedom and opportunity for you, your family, and those around you today. I am joined, as you have noticed, as is per the usual, by my captain, my co-host, man who traded 636 cc's for a beach hut and a scooter. Welcome to Bali, buddy. Yeah, buddy. And if you know what bike has 636 cc's, be sure to drop us a little commenty commenty in the comment section. If you guys stick around to the end of the episode, we'll talk about the best place to sit on an airplane, a few killer pieces of audio hardware, and some essential software for your Macintosh. Let's get moving on to the news. The biggest news is, of course, Ian is in Bali. You've picked up a scooter, you've already gotten pulled over and had to pay bribes to the police. So you've gotten the whole experience in about 24 hours. Yeah, not so dissimilar actually to the United States. I was in court right before I left, paying <laughs> bribes to the police there as well. You're such so, a rebel. Uh, yeah. So you're sitting here with your I Love Bali shirt. I'm uh, pretty jealous, although I am in Bali and I do love Bali. <laughs> and uh, we're sitting here at your nice standing desk. So I'm really excited to get into it. We got some parties lined up. We've already met some people. We hung out with David McKeegan last night and Tommy of TommySchultz.com. Yeah. So a couple quick tips. The standing desk that we're standing at right now cost me $55. I think at this point you could probably Google standing desk, but that's a huge hack and it's actually been a game changer in the last year and a half of my life. Standing up improves your posture, it improves your productivity. So I actually don't sit at a desk and it's something I don't talk about much on the show, but I stand up about 75 to 80% of my work day and then the rest of the time I'll lounge in like a beanbag or I'll lounge in bed or something or I'll sit at a cafe if I'm having a coffee. Obviously, I'm not the guy standing up at the cafe. That's a little bit weird. Right. More interesting to me than actually my health from the standing desk is why we're not exporting these desks. This is beautiful for $50. I mean, this thing would sell for four or 500 bucks back in the States. Yeah, maybe we should cut off the mics. <laughs> Let's get started on that's not a bad idea. This is a beautiful stand up desk. Uh, I think the guys at the e-commerce store standingdesk.com, they're crushing it. That's part of the reason we haven't gotten into that market. I am passionate about the stand-up market. Speaking of passionate, we were at uh, David McKeegan's house for a great pool party, lasagna party yesterday from greenbacktaxservices.com. I I love David and Carrie and Timmy. The family is so cool. They have a great business. As you guys know, we talk a lot. Put Put an idea in my head. So, And I want to put this out to the audience. Ian and I, I often say, and I believe this is true for many of you listening on the other end of this podcast, is that given the amount of resources and given the power of the internet, really the only thing that we are limited by is our imaginations. Yeah. Now, of course, Ian and I aren't rich guys, but you know what? The internet makes us rich. Imagine going back to some billionaire in the 70s and holding up an iPhone that's connected to the internet and saying... You know, how much is this worth to you, Mr. Billionaire in the 70s? I mean, in the ways that we can travel the world, the ways in which we can do this kind of stuff, I feel only limited by my imagination. Yeah, and the interesting thing about being limited by your imagination is that everybody is limited by their imagination. There's really no difference between me and the guy next to me and the guy next to him, except for our mindset. And it makes me feel dumb. 
It makes me feel like I need to be smarter. Uh, and one of the ideas that I was expressing to you is, Ian, as I was saying, you know, there's never a good time to do big things in your life. There's never a good time to quit your job. There's never a good time to go on that round the world trip. There's never a good time to, you know, take a break away from your business. You always feel bad about that, you know? You have to cut it out. You have to create it for yourself. And Ian and I's big challenge, I think, in the next few months is to decide what the heck we're gonna do next year. Yeah. And I'm really excited to maybe get some feedback from the listeners, but one of the ideas that David McKeegan put in our head is, wouldn't it be cool if you guys went on a round-the-world trip, 12 locations in 12 months, and had the listeners vote on where you would go and try to go to the premier lifestyle entrepreneurship locations to right. evaluate them, to meet members of the DC who are there, right. and to do all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I think David's idea is he's actually looking to get into the product business. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's hoping that the value of our company will get down as we start traveling so we can buy it cheap. Well, so, thanks for that, David. You know, I don't know. If you guys were in our shoes, I'm curious because you know Ian and I need a little bit of leadership right now for ourselves and, and, and from our network just to kind of get an idea of what are our options and what are some big things that we could do next year that would be fun and would make our lives better. And, and you know, the lives for our employees and customers and all that good stuff, but primarily us, let's be honest. All right, so let's get moving on to the meat and potatoes. Today was extremely exciting. We talked to Rob Walling, one of my blogging heroes and just a genuinely cool dude. Totally cool guy. I mean, he's just, He's the boss socks, man. He's totally legit, you know? I mean, he's just, you know, none of this BS crap. He's just like running great businesses and making making a great living for himself and no BS, man. That's, I'm I'm just totally knocked away by this guy and he's very smart. So we invited him on the program and we asked him the best questions we could. Let's get moving. All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. Today I'm so excited to welcome one of Ian and I's favorite podcasters, Rob Walling. And we invited him for a particular reason, because Rob is a super book fanatic. If you listen to just a few of his podcast startups for the rest of us.com, you'll notice that Rob's a huge enthusiast. I'm even nervous. I'm a little nervous right now talking to Rob. He's like, he's You're our podcasting idol. <laughs> Come on. Okay, so I was talking to Stephen Kaufman the other day from the Personal MBA, and he brought up this concept, Rob, of books as shortcuts like hacks to hard-earned experience. And it's sort of a light bulb went off in my head and I thought, yes, that's true. You know, books aren't everything, but they really can give you a leg up. And I thought, I bet Rob believes that this is true as well. So I wanted to bring you on the program to share with the audience a few books that you think could jumpstart people a few years ahead in particular disciplines. So I'm sure you think you can do that. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks. You know, I, I really appreciate you guys bringing me on. I've been listening to your show, I think, since like episode four, I found it in iTunes. <laughs> and so I've heard almost every episode, if, every episode, if not all of them. So I'm, I'm so I, embarrassed uh, when people say that because they're so bad at the beginning. I mean, they're not it, great no, right now. but No, I know how that feels. So it's great to be on here, guys, and finally have a conversation with you instead of just hearing you, you know, in my earbuds and, and having a conversation <laughs> with myself. Other people think it's with myself. <laughs> with, you know, I'm stoked. We've got a few so, comments from people that have listened to the first 50 episodes in the past week because we let them out. Just on Twitter, some guy said, it sounds like you guys are sad and need a hug. I was like, <laughs> I guess we had no energy. We're just scared shitless of being on the microphone. And then there was a whole thread in our forum about how awesome it was to realize that we were complete idiots when we started. <laughs> it's like, it's inspiring yeah. to, to know that these guys sucked. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to hear us suck. 
<laughs> any new thing you do, it's always like that, right? It's like you go back to early, anyone, any big blogger you love, you go back to their first five posts or 20 posts and they're terrible. And it's like, they, but they weren't popular then, so it didn't matter, you know? Absolutely. It's like, it's almost nicer to not have a big audience when you start. Yeah, and it's excruciating, especially for, there's this great quote, who's the guy that does This American Life podcast? Ira Glass? Yep. There's this great, you know, podcast or idea about the, the war of art and this idea that you get into it because you have taste. And it's excruciating those first three to four years because you cannot perform at your level of taste, but it's your taste that got you there in the first place. And that's definitely what it was like with podcasts. Still is for me when I, I still cringe a lot when I listen to us. All right, Rob, let's get the goods out of you. We had you on for a reason. So the first book you've identified is Built to Sell by John Warlow. So what kind of fast track is this book gonna put you on if you, if you take the time to read it? This is a higher level book, right? It gets you thinking about how to structure your business uh, in order to to sell the thing ultimately. But the interesting part is the more you listen to it, the more you realize that if you actually structure your business this way, you're going to want to keep the thing. Because he talks about getting recurring revenue in place. He talks about getting paid before you provide services. He talks about, you know, coming up with a process, about specializing. I mean, it's all stuff, you know, you guys talk about, we talk about on our podcast, but it's presented in a way that uh, it got me thinking. You know, I just listened to it. It's audiobook, and I listened to it about three or four months ago. I, it's a high-level kind of business process thing. And so it's a lot like, uh, what's the Gerber Gerber book? E, the E-Myth. The E-Myth. Right? Which it's I think similar, is the most overrated book in the business of all time, by the way. That's an outlier perspective. But this book, people treat it like it's some kind of Bible. I don't understand it. It's basically yeah, like make a I, process. You know, I think, <laughs> exactly. No, that's right. And I think when, he, when Gerber wrote it, it was revolutionary. I think, but didn't he write the original version 15, 20 years ago? And yes. I think now it's kind of been overdone, you know? But anyway, so Built to Sell is similar. It's not going to totally blow your mind, but it's short and it's told like a fable or like a parable. So mm -hmm. it's a story about a guy who has a business that's failing. And at first I was, it was excruciating. I was like, this guy's, this is terrible. You know, I don't want to hear about this clown, but by the middle of the book, I'm rooting for this guy to sell his <laughs> business. And I felt like engaged, like it was a story. So first off, how long would it take somebody to read this book? Maybe four to six hours. Okay. Excellent. It's a short book. Yeah. Ian and I have challenges with certain elements of our business seem highly difficult to transfer onto other people. Are there some sort of key things that you should not do? Are there some big red flags that John points out that absolutely make a business difficult to pass on to another buyer? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think of what they I know are. I'm treating you like putting you totally on the spot here like you're the expert on yeah. this book or whatever. Yeah, no. Uh, you know, I, of course I took notes on the book and I have them somewhere, but no, he definitely talks about things because at the beginning of the story, the guy who owns this firm, who he's trying to sell a design firm basically, and he's okay. trying to he's overworked and it's just not working, you know, people are leaving and it's just this chaotic thing. And he talks specifically about the things he's done wrong there. And then through the course of the book, this guy finds a mentor and he basically you know, goes to all those things I just mentioned about recurring revenue and, you know, making processes and such. They're in there. I don't recall them, you know, kind of offhand, but read the book. You'll find out. Do you feel like there are sweet spots in terms of absolute dollar figures that make businesses easier to sell? 
I've heard some people talk about this idea that businesses are in like adolescent phase when they're in like one to five million dollars in revenue. And it's really easy to sell a business that's like sort of just started and maybe 100, 200 grand to buy. It's really easy to sell a bigger like merger type business. Do you believe in that, that there is this sort of, a lot of the listeners, they do have these sort of adolescent businesses. They're like, they might cost 700 grand and 1.5 to buy. Do you feel, do you have any experience with that? Any opinion about that kind of thing? Yeah, you know, I think it, at any valuation, there's a market for it. I mean, even going to something like Flippa, you know, Flippa.com, it's more of a, a wholesaling place that if you sell on there, you're not getting top dollar. But I've bought and sold quite a few businesses on there. And th- you can buy or sell stuff in the thousands or tens of thousands. And then, of course, there are six-figure businesses that go onto Flippa. And then I think once you get Beyond that, you you start talking to brokers and, and really doing the the true M and A stuff. But right. I, man, I think at any range that you can buy or sell a business, and I I know you can in the in the towards the lower end because I've bought and sold a lot in that range. Speaking of buying and selling, Rob just bought an, a great SEO business that was going to be useful to everybody. We're going to talk about that just in ten minutes. I want to get through these books. Uh, so stick around for that. Uh, the next book, Rob, you identified is called Yes, 50 Scientifically Proven Ways to Be Persuasive by the, the uh, infamous Cialdini. Uh, how can this help you jumpstart your business progress? So what I like about this book is it takes Cialdini's first book that everyone knows about. Or I don't know if it's his first book. It's his most popular book. It's called Influence. And all the marketers talk about it, right? He identifies these eight ways to influence people. And it was through his research that he, that he found those. The thing is, if you read Influence, it's a good book. It leaves you flat not knowing what to do with that stuff. And what Yes is, is he teamed up with two other authors and they have 50 mini case studies, basically. That's all the book is. Is It's like 50 chapters. Each chapter is you know a specific case study one is about an infomercial as an example and a specific thing they did they used to say operators are waiting please call now and they changed the phrase to if operators are busy please call again and the thought yeah isn't that and they say it seems like it did nothing but it just it cranked conversions so that's like one of the 50 they're very specific examples and that's what I like about it every time I read it I've now read it twice every time I read it I take away this huge list of like oh I I need to try that on my website I need to try that you know next time I'm talking to someone about a product now do you feel like these things are like manipulative tweaks or do you feel like they make your content better what's your attitude a lot of people say uh, this stuff, one of the books we we're going to talk about is, is The Game by Neil Strauss. And a lot of people say, like, this stuff is manipulative. What's your attitude about manipulating your audience into hitting that buy now button? I definitely think you can go too far. But most of the stuff in yes, and most of anything I implement, I feel okay about. And the reason is, is I think if you have a, a really good product, that it's going to benefit your customer and that you will provide refunds if you say you will. You know, if, you, if the customer isn't happy, if you've oversold that you're gonna give them their money back, I don't really see an issue with that. I'm not into high pressure sales. That's just not my personality. That's kind of my take. This is the only book that I've read. The next book on the list is called The Ultimate Sales Letter by Dan Kennedy. This book is amazing. This book will absolutely jumpstart you a year, 12 months ahead of trial and error writing sales letters. Give us the rundown on why we should read this book totally it will rock your world if you haven't read about the mixture of psychology and copywriting and how real copywriters like the successful ones they didn't major in english they majored in psychology or at least they study it and that is what this book is all about it's about figuring out what motivates your buyer and 
talking to that and, and entering the conversation that's already in the person's mind when they come upon your product. This one book changed my take on copywriting more than any other book I've read on the subject. Now, Dan Kennedy is, I, you know, I have a mixed, mixed relationship with his stuff because some of his stuff I feel, some of the stuff he says in other books, I feel like, ah, that's a little too far. You know, he's just not, doesn't kind of match up with, with all of my values. But this book is dead on. It's awesome. It's so fascinating because Dan Kennedy is like the prototypical red headline dude. He's like the dude who's like, you know, P.S., if you don't jump on this now, you know, you're an idiot. You're like, you're not serious about your life and all this kind of stuff. And to hear that coming from a guy like you who is the exact opposite approach. I mean, right. I, I've listened to you know 51 Startups for the Rest of Us episodes and have heard you mention the Micropreneur Academy. I've heard you mention it five times. Right. So what's going yeah. on? <laughs> what's, well, the, what's the takeaways for you? You know, if you read the copy that I write, it doesn't have to be over the top. Like it doesn't have to be high pressure and it doesn't have to be manipulative. Basically what I take away from a book like this, The Ultimate Sales Letter, is more of really, really understanding your prospect and understanding what they're thinking, how they're thinking when they enter your site and basically just piggybacking on that. I think you can have different styles, but it's more about, you know, targeting what they're thinking about as as they're as they're coming and finding their pain points, frankly. All right, Bala. So this is going to be the biggest challenge of the podcast, Rob, because this next book sounds totally lame. And the reason I haven't read it is because it, it seems like networking. Like, and I just, for some reason, I, I just don't respect networking or the idea of how to become a networker. It just, I'm reminded of these entrepreneurship meetups that I go to in San Diego where guys hand me their real estate card, you know, and that kind of stuff. So the next book is called Never Eat Alone by Keith. Razi, why should we read this book? And, and let's preface this with Dan has a house in Bali with a couple up in rooms and he lets people come in and out as they go and please networking with them constantly pool parties. Constantly. I would never call it networking. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I agree with you, man. I do. I feel like I have to do a kind of a sales job here because you commented in our email thread before this that, you know, you, you weren't into this. So I am also not a networky guy. Like I'm a software developer by trade, right? I'm not the extrovert guy who's going to go to these meetings and, and hand out business cards. Right. That's what I liked about Ferrazzi's book is he starts off and he says, look, you know, most networking is BS. Most networking is, is shallow. It's not about handing out business cards. And he talks about his successes and how he's utilized his network. And he has this very large group of friends and acquaintances. At some point, I think he stops using the word network because it has such a negative connotation. Right. And he basically says, here's the value I've gotten out of it and here's how I've done it. And it's basically a look at his process. And I get, at least from his writing, I get the feeling that he did it just so genuinely and so kind of, it's just an extension of himself. You know what I'm saying? Like it was authentic while he did it. When I read it, I didn't feel icky. Like I was like, oh, I got to use weird tactics or say stuff that isn't me. I just got the feeling that I needed to add a little more of a process to what I'm doing and, and write down people who, you know, maybe influencers and who I meet already, but I don't keep in touch with them as an example. And it's like, write those people down and touch base with them every few months, you know? And that's kind of one of the takeaways. So I don't know. I don't know if it'll change your your whole viewpoint on it. If you're already good at it, you know, which it sounds like you are, I don't, 
I don't know if this is for you, but for me, I'm just like networking is not a strong suit of mine. Well, this is definitely something I want to look into because I feel like I don't want to get caught up in my blind spots like by having a prejudice about a term. Another one that a lot of people have a prejudice about, there was a great Hacker News article a few months ago. I don't know if you saw it. It was about high-level sales and the misconception that it's these blustery sales guys that make those things happen because everybody thinks like, I'm not a sales guy. I'm not a sales guy. And when you look back at Ian and I's careers, we've both made uh, very high-level sales and these we're not and, and and we look at what you're up to as well very successful business entrepreneur and there's no bluster there's none of this like i'm on the phone all day long sort of hustling stuff it's very much more about listening to people about being responsive about getting them the solving them their problems promptly and i think it's the same thing with this networking thing you know those guys that are at those meetups handing out their real estate cards you know they're not the ones that are ultimately doing it genuinely or doing it well. Right, they're the guys that piss you off. And <laughs> I, honestly, you know, and in the book he talks about that and it's basically like, be, I mean, what I took away from it is like, be who you are and then just add a little more process to it. And so that's why I liked it. So Rob, while we've got you on the hook, Ian and I got a bunch of books laid out here, but you know, Ian and I get the opportunity to talk to our audience every week, a million times, while we've got you on the horn, a lot of the guys here in our network are very fascinated by a business you recently bought. It's called hittail.com. We're sort of poking around at it, looking at it, uh, curious as to how it could help our businesses. So uh, it's a very novel concept for content publishers. And I wanted, I was hoping that you could just take a few minutes to explain to us why you would buy an SEO company and who are your like sort of key competitors and what kind of value are you gonna be providing to content publishers? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's elevator awesome. pitch, Rob. Let's get let's get let's Seri- get the wheels greased here. Seriously, <laughs> I hope all the practice I've put in pays off here. So the first part was why I would buy a company like this. Yes, and I, you know, for me, I was looking at what's next for me. I was looking at writing another book or kind of figuring out what company I was going to buy next. And I'm really into, I love, I love marketing. I just love spreading the word. And I've been a customer of Hittail for about almost six years now. And they came out in like 2005, 2006. And so it's this, I, I mean, it's funny. I talk about it like it's this great service. It's because I've been using it for five years and not, and when you're not the owner, you can totally say that. Right. As soon as I own it, I have to like almost tone down my praise <laughs> for it. But it's this awesome service that I've been using and it started having a bunch of downtime because the, the original owners, they kind of abandoned it. They were supporting it, but not technically. So it was going down all the time. And I realized like, A, it's a fit for, for people who follow me. B, I want to keep using the thing and C, it just, it has a very unique value prop that I've never seen anyone else implement. So let's so. talk about that because one of the, one of the things that really caught our attention about this purchase is the ambition you seem to have behind it. Like this has real potential to be something that has a big impact uh, on our space. So explain to me how I could use this to, to, to ramp the traffic up to my site. You know, the promise of Hittail is that it allows you to figure out your long tail SEO keywords. And that's the bottom line. And what it does is it analyzes your existing traffic to your website and it tells you the keywords that you should target. You basically have proprietary information, right? You have a website, you have uh, people finding you through Google and Yahoo and all these search engines. And you go to the Google keyword tool and you try to find keywords and everyone has that info. 
You go to Market Samurai, everyone has the same info, but your specific traffic is absolutely proprietary. And so that's what Hittail, it actually analyzes it, it takes your traffic in real time, and it spits out this list of suggestions that you should target, and that if you write one blog post, one article, one piece of content with this as the title, almost guaranteed to hit the first page of Google for that term. Could you explain to me like the algo methodology, like the 40,000 foot methodology? Like, is this like when I look at my Google analytics, it'll say a bunch of people came to my site last month from expat in Bali. Is that the kind of data that Hittail is looking at? Yeah, so basically Hittail has a little snippet of of analytics snippet on your website. You know, it's a JavaScript code, little piece, and it sends all of your keywords back to the Hittail database. Okay, so it'll get the same information that are in Google Analytics. Right. Like you said, you know, the Bali, expat Bali. You know, your large keywords that you're already getting a lot of traffic for, things you already rank on the first page for, it's not going to focus on those. What it's going to do is take your smaller traffic keywords, and it has this algorithm. There's been, gosh, it's almost 800 million keywords have run through Hittail now. <laughs> like, it's approaching a billion because it's it's been going for so long and had so many customers. And this algorithm is big. It just analyzes your traffic and it spits out these keywords that your site is ready to rank on the first page for is essentially what it is. Wow. So it's essentially so. a tool that will help you, you know, focus on these key terms and, and build traffic around these key terms. It's not necessarily going to do anything for you, but it's going to give you information to act on. That's all it is. Yep. It's a very simple, very actionable tool. I mean, the entire app could really be one page with suggestions. That's all it is. It's right about these keywords. But the app is, in fact, five or six pages. So this would be ideal for people that are trying to monetize blogs. That's the way I'm thinking about this. Blogs are a big one. Actually, e-commerce websites where they, where people actually have multiple products are huge. Ooh. That is the that's probably 50-60% because the long tail is such a big deal in that market, right? Yes. If you have a website selling ties or selling, you know, whatever, cat furniture, if you have 50 <laughs> or 50 or 100 products, you see a lot of long tail traffic. And this tells you, hey, these keywords here, let's say you look in Google and you're getting referrals from like a thousand different keywords and you're getting one hit each per month. You have no idea which of, like, which of those should I rank higher for. Right. Right. You don't know which of those to target. It doesn't help you. And that's what Hittail does. It picks them out and it says, these are the ones that you should target out of that huge list. Wow. That's cooler than I thought. So how do you deal with clients then? Is this, you know, do you get a 30 day free top trial and then it's a monthly yep. fee or how does it work? That's it. Yep, it's a sa- it's a software as a service application. It's a 30-day free trial, starts at 10 bucks a month. You know, if you have less than about about 5,000, you kind of need 5,000 to 10,000 visits per month to make it worthwhile. Okay. And as you get above that, you start getting a lot more suggestions. Typically, if you have at least 20 or 30 pages of content, that also helps because that kind of distributes your search terms. Is it $10 a month per domain, Rob? It is right now, but I'm changing the pricing because I want, because that doesn't make sense to me. The real reason we have to charge is because there's server load, right? So it should depend on the traffic. And that's what I'm going to be changing to in about a month. Um, so it starts at 10 bucks a month. The premium plan's 20 bucks a month. And then it, it goes up from there. So it's like at 20 bucks a month, you can get, tw- you have 25,000 visits a month that we will, we will process. Cool. So. And, you know, and then as it goes up, it, there's a $70 plan and such, so. I'm pumped about it, man. I can understand why you think it has potential. I mean, that sounds amazing. So definitely, well, sign me up. Let's do it. 
Rob, thanks for uh, joining us on the program. It's truly an honor to have you here on the LBP. Uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. And what is your premier domain? If one touch point for somebody listening to this show, they want to come get into contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Softwarebyrob.com. And it's not really about software anymore. It's more about startups, entrepreneurship, and internet marketing. Cheers, Rob. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, Ian, I'm inspired. I'm going to get hit tail. I think it's a great product. Yeah, it's really, really cool sounding. I'm really amazed at the fact that he's been using it. He's been a customer for six years and then he goes and buys the product. I mean, a that's super like baller. A, yeah, it's like a fairy tale. I think that's really cool. It's kind of cool. It's kind of like, you know, how Market Samurai has been sort of going downhill lately. It would be baller if somebody would, like stepped up and just like, I bought it. I bought that shit. I'm going to keep it going. That's pretty baller. Anyway, let's get moving on to the quick tips, tricks, and or funny jokes section yeah so we've been talking about this new mic that we got this is the yeti <laughs> and we've been making jokes online and offline about it because it's huge it's a freaking so, bomb dude yeah so this thing is literally two hands tall i got it in the mail and I, I called you and i said look man i don't know if i'm gonna be able to bring this thing to bali it takes up like half of my suitcase it might have been strategic for the blue people not to put the scale hand next to the yeti because i thought we were gonna get like a normal like rock star microphone it turns out we've got a, a like a it looks like a football on a tee cool for anybody that doesn't travel but this thing is pretty amazing and you've been playing around with it so what have you found so far well i've got some decent experience because as some of the listeners know i've been in rock band since i was 18 and that means i've spent my fair share of time in recording studios as well as recording songs on my stuff by the way the intro music i wrote that song and the, if you guys go check out the tropical talk radio number one that is a clip from one of my old bands so I've got a lot of experience with microphones and recording. This is a cardioid mic. It's a condenser microphone. It plugs in USB. It's got some incredible settings. It's got bi-directional. It's sitting in the middle of the table right now. Ian and I are both about a foot and a half away, which isn't ideal, but it works just fine. You can hear the sound quality is great. One of the things I love about it is it's omnidirectional as well. You can sit it in the middle of the table and have a bluegrass band around it, or you can have six people talking and do a podcast like that. Sound quality is amazing. Definitely much better quality than what we've been dealing with with the USB headset. So if you need high quality audio, it's only like 160 bucks. No, no, less than that. It was $100. Really? From Amazon. Holy good. Well, then just go out and get it. It's $100. It's insane value. I mean, this is the kind of thing we've been talking a lot about, especially like musical hardware. Like the prices have just nosedived in the last 10 years. To get something this quality five years ago, you're easily talking 400 plus dollars plus a mixing board. Now we're talking about you just pull this thing out, you plug it into your laptop and you've got radio quality sound. What's the next quick tip? Next quick tip, I installed OSX Lion. I'd been delaying that because it obviously costs money, but I upgraded it costs my money. iPhone. Yeah, it does. I think it costs like $29. This isn't one of those like automatic updates that pops up on your MacBook. No. You have to like go to the Mac store. Correct. Okay. And if you want it to work with the new OS 5, which I did because I wanted to have my pictures and whatnot in the cloud, I had to upgrade to OSX Lion. So one of the big things that I'm uh, messing around with is the gesturing. So I really suggest setting up your trackpad for gesturing, especially useful for me when I'm surfing the web because I can do it much more quickly now. I don't have to hit the back button as much. I can minimize it quickly, things like this. So I really suggest downloading it for no other reason, the OS, so you can utilize the gesturing so you can right. work faster. This is like what Sebastian Marshall was talking about. Like, you know, it's not Short a cuts. game changer, but these are edges. This is one to two, three percent. If you can get around your computer faster, if you can type faster, that's a real legitimate edge, especially if you're a knowledge worker working on the internet. Man, you got this piece of hardware the other day that just put me on tilt. 
I put on these Dr. Dre noise canceling Beats headphones. Yeah. And it was like my head was swimming in a world of musical goodness. Yeah. So I got the Beats headphones too. Thanks, mom, for that. <laughs> because uh, let's get an applause effect for mom. Thanks, mom. Yeah. I mean, mom's the reason we're doing all this stuff. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So she really takes care of me. So she got me these new Beats headphones before my trip here to Bali. I think what's amazing, I've tried other noise canceling headphones before. Like my roommate has a set, and they kind of leak. You can hear the sound outside of the headphones a lot. So everybody knows you're watching naughty videos on the internet. Right, right. right. Listening to Katy Perry. <laughs> so, uh, so there's no leaking from the Beats. I think another really cool thing about the Beats is that they look good. Now, they get a lot of trash talk on the internet. They don't live up to the hype. That They're not really $300 headphones. That Bose are a lot better. I've tried Bose. I disagree. I think these are some of the highest quality noise-canceling headphones that you can find for under $500. So highly recommend the Beats. It's also got this little cord that you can use so you can actually talk like on your iPhone right uh, which is very cool too so one final quick tip this is about flying long-haul flights Ian and I always note what kind of airplane we're taking and this yeah. is a quick tip for 737s and 747s yeah generally the reason I look up what kind of airplane I'm taking is so I can look and see how many incidents there's been so this is a quick tip for flying I know this is true for the 747 and the 737 I'm not sure about other flights Row 29. Row 29 is usually the row behind business class and first class. And the reason that's cool is because you've got tons of legroom. So you've got about three feet from your seat to the wall, which is up front. And this is also the row that has the tray that folds out and the TV right. that folds up. So a couple cool things about this row. You've got tons of extra legroom. Second thing is that there's a divider in between each seat. So that means that you can kind of like let your legs do what they want to do and you're not bumping knees with the guy next to you. Right. Uh, so I had a really nice flight. I know in the 747s, I couldn't book online row 29. I actually had to go up to the desk right before my flight and request that. That's not true for the 737. I could book that online. So Okay, so 737, you wouldn't really take long-haul flights on. That's correct. Okay, so this is nerdily, travelly, delicious information. Thanks for that, Ian. The final piece of delicious information, as always, if you want to go make a successful lifestyle business, do make a cold call. We'll see you next Thursday. Booyah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything.